Today's episode of the Degenerate Business School is brought to you by Baseball, which is basically American cricket, and Executive Compensation, testing the limits of human reason for a pretty long time. Last week I was about ready to jump out of a window. Today, I'm feeling better. You're oh, because the market yeah conditions yeah. Well, uh, listen, you had a strong rally in Cisco. I did. Big pat on the back there. I did. Um, and I, generally, Monday was a bloodbath, and then things stabilized. Yeah, no, I mean... Directionally. Th- th- things are good. We just had a, a, a lovely Thanksgiving dinner. May Thanksgiving. Once again, pizza and Popeye's, the double P. Yeah. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. Let me uh, let me add for our audience uh, benefit the little kicker you added to Popeye's today. You added Hawaiian rolls so you can make miniature Popeye's chicken sandwiches. Yeah. Spectacular innovation. Yeah, worthy of Elon Musk, I'd argue. I'm an ideas man, Elon. If you need, if you need somebody, I'm available. Oh, and it, I, I have ideas too. I took the miniature sandwich and I added pizza cheese to make a miniature chicken parm sandwich. So I just don't want it to get lost in the <laughs> shuffle that I was just sitting around like a sock, not contributing anything. Granted, granted. We actually uh, on the topic of socks. I'll explain, I'll explain what I mean there <laughs> momentarily. We do have a special topic today, which was, in all candor, inspired by a perennial article that is circulated on different publications. Today it was the Wall Street Journal. Political news organizations have run the same thing uh, about the inequality of CEO pay, right? They're always talking about the multiple to which a CEO gets paid is just so unfair relative to what their average worker makes. Right. Right? Yeah. Do we care about that? Not a goddamn bit, Robert. No. This is not a politics podcast. No. No, no. sir. But uh, it did lead us down a line of inquiry about whether or not, you know, the inequality thing bothers you. What CEOs get paid today in the business environment of the United States or the Fortune 500, does it actually make sense from an economics perspective? Or if we were on a board of directors, will we actually pay these people as much as they're making now? So we're going to get into that, but not yet because we want you to actually listen to the whole episode. So there's going to be a bunch of mumbo jumbo in between, but the big topic this week is a new metric we're pioneering inspired by baseball CEO wins above replacement i'm really excited about this one. yeah me too i feel like if not the podcast this is what ultimately you know makes it big out of this yeah, yeah i feel yeah, like yeah. we're on to something here yeah so we're gonna become millionaires so uh, i hope you enjoyed this podcast this is gonna catas- <laughs> catapult us into the stratosphere of, of the corporate constellation uh 
Yeah. So let's drain the drudgery of business news this week. And not drudgery, but you know, we'll breeze right through it in the business section this week. First up, Pinterest. Robert, still I don't know. Nor do I. What is a Pinterest? And apparently, neither does Wall Street. What happened to Pinterest this week? Uh, They reported earnings. Their first earnings as a uh, public company uh, shit the bed spectacularly. Oh, yeah. As we knew they would. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone was surprised by this. Um, Except apparently... Wall Street? (laughs) (laughs) We were saying it all along. If I can't explain exactly what it is, why would I ever buy in, even if the IPO was sandbagged? Yeah, they reported losses about three times what Wall Street expected, um, which is hard to believe. But, uh, yeah, the stock tanked, and, uh, I mean, I'm not surprised. I don't think you're surprised. Well, at the end of it all, it's a let's call it a niche version of Facebook, but without the other piratical ruthlessness of Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg. So what good are they? So can we say that that ruthlessness is what makes Facebook? Oh yeah. Yeah. No compunction about the societal ills. It's clearly inflicting on all of global society. (laughs) Just how many advertising dollars can I squeeze out of you? That's all Zuckerberg cares about. He does a good job of it, so good for him. Uh, uh, well, we're going to tether that back into our broader conversation about CEO wins above replacement. Also in the news, uh, after another slew of Roundup settlements, Roundup obviously the cancer-causing agent that was pioneered by Monsanto and is now in the Bayer corporate portfolio, the market cap of Bayer as you pointed out, Robert, is now lower, not uh, the combined market cap of the Bayer combined enterprise with the legacy Bayer assets and Monsanto is now lower than the purchase price of Monsanto itself. Yeah, and Monsanto was purchased last year, I believe? Yeah. Maybe two years at best? Hasn't been a long time. Uh, yeah, it's a tough one. Mm-hmm. This latest settlement for $2 billion is, I mean, it has me considering maybe like trying to get some Hodgkin's lymphoma or something. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But I, like the good kind. <laughs> yeah, the good, the good kind. Is that the good kind? <laughs> um, no, th- this is this is insane to me that there are 13,000 of these lawsuits pending. and Enough, theoretically, to bankrupt Bayer, which is a over a century old ancient German pharmaceutical company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I mean, say what you will about the wisdom of mega mergers, which generally we abhor. But I think a year ago when people were looking at Bayer diversifying into agribusiness, didn't seem like a bad move, except that this corporate liability this legal liability around Roundup was, I guess, an operational risk that no one ever foresaw. Well, when Bayer first acquired Monsanto, these litigations had already begun. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a tough one for that CEO. It's a tough one. And we're going to get to that, too, because it all ties in to CEO wins above replacement. One final thing. 
I don't know if it's terribly interesting. It's mildly interesting. But Amazon takes a stake in what is essentially the European version of Uber Eats or Grubhub or whatever food delivery service, infrastructure service you want to uh, hang your hat on. Deliveroo, which is an adorable name. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's Deliveroo some... <laughs> pancakes. <laughs> uh, so... Obviously, on its face, they're not actually acquiring Deliveroo outright. They're just taking an active investment position in the enterprise in a Euro- in a European market that Amazon, I guess, you know, it's not native to. Not that that is relevant for Amazon. So I wonder, Robert, what do you think Amazon is after in this basic experimentation into food delivery? Honestly, yeah. I think Jeff is bored. I think Jeffrey's a little bit bored. I mean, this can't possibly be a play at making money. Uber already no. does this, and Uber has said outright, like, yeah, we're probably never going to make a profit. It's cool. So we can put this in the same category as... Whole Foods? Whole Foods, Groceries, Blue Origin. It's not part of Amazon, but still. Right. It's in uh, Bezos' uh, toy chest of wonders. Yeah. Um Interestingly, though, uh, you could argue there is a strategic through line in these lanes of experimentation. Let's ignore Blue Origin for a second. But if you think about Amazon Fresh and what it tried to do and didn't really do, the Whole Foods acquisition and what it's failed to do, or Deliveroo, it's all about trying to incorporate like a perishable food subsidiary into this like broader distribution infrastructure that Amazon has created. It's almost like they're doing it out of their core market just to try to, in a very limited way, learn what potential success might look like in a restaurant food delivery context and then apply it broadly to the United States if they can figure it out. Yeah. And on that note, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see them ultimately try to buy something like a FedEx or a UPS just to to bolster their delivery uh, capabilities. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't see this as a as a key pillar in like the way they make money. It's more a way that they basically get their tentacles into every aspect of your life. Oh yeah, yeah. The octopus is strong. Yeah, as ever. All right. Shall we get to the main event, Robert? Let's do it. All right, let's... We'll start with a couple of things. Number one, what was the genesis of all this, as we said, which was there's always a lot of chatter about is CEO compensation fair, question mark, which is a political conversation. Uh, we want to ask the question, are... CEOs worth what they're making today in a purely academic ROI sense of the word, right? A purely econometric way of looking at CEO pay. Right. So the other piece of context was, and this is also in Genesis, part of a Wall Street Journal construct, but if you compared it to a sports environment vis-a-vis Steph Curry is the highest paid player in the NBA at $37.5 million. The average Fortune 350 
CEO makes about $15.5 million. Does that math add up? We looked at that for an hour, went crazy, and decided to throw that out. But out of the ashes <laughs> of that terrible enterprise, we did come up with a construct that we did think was actually applicable to this central question of does what an average CEO make or a specific CEO make actually make economic sense if you're the board of the company and you're trying to get a return on how you're compensating your CEO. Right. And what construct, Robert, did we settle on? Well, ultimately, wins wins above replacement. And what brought this about is if you look at a LeBron James, Mm -hmm. right, he makes 30-some-odd million. And ultimately, what he brings to the NBA is far greater than, you know, athletes 5 through 15 or whatever. So if we look at your typical CEO who's making $15 million, if you replace him with a sock, uh, a fair... Sock, which is wins above replacement, zero. Correct. Correct. Uh Business generally will continue. Right. To a certain extent, and let's take one more step back before we get too far along. For anyone that is not familiar with the basic construct of wins above replacement, it comes from baseball, but it's eh, tentatively branching out into other sports. Although baseball is like the perfect, you know, advanced metrics ecosystem to actually tease this out. All it tries to illustrate is how much more valuable is an individual player than the average player at their position right. in a given season? And the way that's calculated, it's relatively straightforward, but basically across a broad taxonomy of, for instance, runs scored, right, or any other productivity metric minus any like error rates or adverse. Uh, statistics you want to apply in a sports environment. How much more valuable is that person than a sock? Right. An average player in that context, but in our context, a sock. Right. So, in the world of baseball, that's generally runs and wins and whatnot. Yeah. In the world of business, obviously it's money or specifically market cap because most of the compensation happens in stock. Exactly. So... And I would argue, maybe I'm wrong. Keep me honest here. Market cap would also, so basic change in market cap, although there's going to be a lot of qualitative mumbo jumbo in here, would account theoretically for the impact of a stock buyback to a stock price, right? Yes. Because it's total shares outstanding times the price of the stock. Yes. So chicanery gets normalized for in the actual total market cap. Right. So... Why don't we start with who we... So we thought about this a lot. And by that, I mean we were driving to Costco for 30 minutes. And this is what we came up with. The average, mediocre, purely mediocre CEO. The proverbial sock. Who is it, Robert? Uh, Hans Vestberg, I believe. Hansi. Hansi Vestberg, uh, CEO of Verizon. Yeah. Uh, they're... Their market cap, their stock has appreciated, but not substantially. Not more than the S&P. No. Maybe as much. Maybe as much. Um, So, 
realistically, their business isn't all that complicated. You put a sock in there and business continues as usual. Um, or, or in the specific case of Verizon, again, I think you're right. You put a sock in there. First of all, the board of directors goes, holy shit, our CEO is now a sock in a chair. <laughs> what do we do? We should probably just do what we've been doing for the last 10 years. And in the context of a conventional telecom, that just means, I guess we should upgrade our wireless network. Keep selling phones. And that's all Vesti's doing. I mean, they they dabbled with the Yahoos and, you know, Oath and all that nonsense, but ultimately none of that moves the needle. Uh, you make your money selling phones and... Uh... Now, exactly. Yeah. Hanzi is making, in the most recent annual compensation, all-in comp, he made $22 million. Now, in the context of Han, so we said the average for Fortune 350 is about $15.5 million. Verizon's at the upper end of the revenue scale. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of upscaled for revenue. But we would argue that actual fair compensation for Hans Vesperg, zero dollars. Yeah. The ROI on that $22 million, probably negative. Yeah. But now let's get into the meat of the CEO wins above replacement metric, which is, as you said, market cap above replacement. The most interesting part about this, I would say, this doesn't exist in the world of sports, right? What's interesting about sports is it is a ecosystem and a rubric of a single game that changes in the broader context. It changes over time in that styles of play change. The basic rubric of the sport and the parameters of the sport do not change over time. Right. The business world is way more dynamic, and you there are a lot of variables to control for, a lot of structural changes. And, to boot, people found companies that never existed before. Right. So we do have to make a distinction between, in the case of Vesperg, he is a person that is brought in to preside over an existing company. That's really what we're talking about here. But you have to set aside completely our company founders, people who start companies that are publicly traded and these people actually their theoretical minimum for ceo wins above replacement is always zero no matter what happens the company is created if it crashes and nosedives and goes out of business something that did exist that didn't exist before just no longer exists so you kind of have to set them apart right now in that class you obviously in the all-time greatest CEO wins above replacement of all time. Just a few names to level set. And we're going to set them aside in a second. But you have Billy Gates, Jeffrey Bezos, Marcus Zuckerberg, Stephen Jobs, Elon, Elon Musk, to name a few. Go back to storied old times of old. You can put John D. Rockefeller in there, Andrew Carnegie. They basically built businesses from scratch and the essential market cap of the company is their CEO wins above replacement. All solidly, solidly <laughs> in their own class. In their own class. They're like the titans of the universe. What we're going to focus on here is CEOs that are brought in to run enterprises that already exist. So, we established Hansi Vesterberg, you are a sock. 
you are the absolute mean. Zero wins above replacement. Right. Berta, in the presiding class, who are your top performers? Highest wins above replacement that we came up with in 30 minutes on our ride to Costco. Uh, I have to say, um, my top two, I mean, there's about five solidly, solidly in, in that class. My favorite two, uh, Satya Nadella, our buddy at Love uh, Satya. Microsoft, um, and uh, Hugh Grant. <laughs> the actor? Not, not, not the actor, not the actor. Hugh Grant... The former CEO of Monsanto. Uh, that man, an absolute genius. Now, given what we just talked about about Bayer, yes, arguably the heist of the century. Absolutely spectacular uh, work. Give that man a medal. Um, so, as you know, Satya is is uh, the CEO of uh, Microsoft, and prior to uh, his tenure, we had Steve Ballmer, who. During his tenure at Microsoft, the company did nothing. They sold Xboxes and... Missed Mobile. Missed Mobile. Largely Missed Mobile. Um, The stock was at $35 forever. Income Satya currently is at $130, $120? $120, give or take, yeah. Sure. So we can estimate that market cap uh, wins above replacement at $750 billion. Quite a spread. Yeah. What did Satya make last year? Uh, Roughly? 25-ish? Yeah, it was like 25, 27 million. Grossly underpaid. Vastly underpaid. So, Hans Vestberg, 22 million, uh, War of Zero. Yeah. Uh, Satya, 27 million, War of 750 billion. That is... Listen, we're talking about, I, I told you before, what Satya Nadella gets paid is the equivalent of Russell Wilson's rookie contract during the Seattle Seahawks epic Super Bowl years. Or, I know you're going to like this, but to bring it to more <laughs> modern times, Dak Prescott's rookie contract. All right, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you haven't won a Super Bowl. But, I, let's agree. A line on Russell Wilson, because that's sure. just a bunch of nonsense. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll grant you that one. Uh, the ROI on Russell Wilson's contract is thought to be historically high. It is nothing compared to a $750 billion to 20, what did we say, $27, 28000000 million salary. Satya, the board of Microsoft is screwing you over. They're making a killing on you. Now, to your point, juxtapose that with Stephen Ballmer. Yeah. This is where the qualitative component comes in pretty importantly in this metric and why it could never be the same as what a sports wins above replacement could be. Because obviously, like, time and structure in something as complicated as the broader economy will always create too many variables to control for. But I think we can say all Stevie Ballmer did was kind of, to your point, continue like the enterprise software gig. He didn't diversify into exploding verticals like mobile or the cloud. Xbox on balance is not like really an existential part of Microsoft's business at the end of the day, I would say. Right. So you got Satya 
market cap delta seven hundred fifty billion. I would say you got to lay an opportunity cost of seven hundred fifty billion dollars at Balmer's feet. Ipso facto, negative war. $750 billion. Microsoft, if you're listening, Steven owes you $750 billion. Just settle for owning the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, interestingly enough, since we were able to make that juxtaposition, my second top performer is uh, Hugh Grant. Okay, lay it on me. Not the actor, but... Uh, the- Although, uh, arguably, Hugh Grant, the actor... High wins above replacement. He's an absolute delight in love, actually. Notting Hill is better movie than it should be. But continue. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I, I don't know these things. Um, so, Hugh Grant, all of a year or two ago, sold Monsanto to Bear for, I don't know, I probably should have researched this. Billions. Billions of dollars. <laughs> we were in the car. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all of a year later... Bayer is worth less than what they paid for Monsanto. Mm -hmm. So to your point, heist of the century, again, we were in the car, so I didn't actually research the uh, market cap appreciation during his tenure, but uh, the entire market cap of Monsanto is now gone. Slash negative. Slash negative. Slash so negative, it might bankrupt Bayer itself. Correct. Yeah. So we can lay that as a win for Hugh Grant and... In massive liability avoidance. Correct. Yeah. And that translates directly to a massive loss to our friend uh, Werner... Bauman? Bauman? CEO of Bayer. Yeah. Presider of the very same merger. Uh, yeah. So at the end of it all, you have Hugh Grant, not the actor, probably knows there's just an absolute shit pile of legal liability <laughs> brewing on the horizon and just heist Werner Braumann for all he's got. Now, I keep coming back to this. These, these litigations were already in play mm-hmm. when Monsanto was purchased. Oh, yeah. So if anything, I feel like the liability on Werner has to be even lower than the actual market cap. Oh, yeah. Hugh Grant was probably thinking, I can't believe they're actually doing this. It's mind-boggling. But in any case, do you have any other uh, top performers you want to add on that? So, there, there's more time that we need to invest in this. And we obviously need to bring back James Lynn to actually help us think through this more comprehensively. But, I gotta throw in my boy Bobby Iger. CEO of Disney. He's making you a killing, that one. He's spectacular. But let's just talk about it qualitatively. I mean, you can look at the market cap increase, especially recently, and just be thrilled about what's happening. But if you think about what Disney is relative to its peers, it's a content originator, media company in quotes, although it obviously has the theme park verticals, what they've been able to do in, so far, navigating the disruption that Netflix has posed to the pay TV ecosystem. Uh, To say nothing of the fact that Disney bought ESPN uh, this century, which was a huge coup in terms of licensing fees. But they have actually accumulated such a content library that is formidable enough to actually withstand the disruption of Netflix and counter it by accumulating ESPN 
by accumulating all of the Star Wars properties, by accumulating Marvel, right? They've he has been able to actually make measured investments in actual content and not get confused about the difference between content and distribution. And now they're so strongly positioned to actually counteract the weight that Netflix has carried into the market. Bobby I, you are spectacular. Very high market cap above replacement. Yeah. I got one more for you. R.I.P. Long May He Reign. Sergio Marchioni, who was the Fiat Chrysler CEO, he was very effective. Uh, we actually don't have any proof points here, <laughs> but I think that Fiat Chrysler's market cap has utterly dwindled since his death. But he was the one who actually had the foresight to understand that they had to diversify into the SUV truck category um, in the American market. Um, he was ruthless at cost cutting, but a high wins above replacement CEO. Yeah, and uh, the current CEO, which I don't know, is finally coming to the realization that, yeah, they cannot exist in their current form. So they're forcibly trying to uh, engage in some M&A of some sort, but... Uh, With a... Were they courting Nissan? Can't remember. Well, that was Nissan Renault. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, it was a, it was a not that long of a Costco drive. But well, uh, Let's add a few more to the bottom of the heap. High negative... Uh, CEO wins above replacement. I got two more for you. Lay it on me. In one of the best CEO clown penis names of all time. Richard, in quotes, Dick Fold. (laughs) Erstwhile CEO of Lehman Brothers. The first person to ever go out of business investment banking. Good job by you, Dick Fold. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like that one speaks for itself. (laughs) And finally... John Scully, who, in all fairness to our friend John, he is a friend of the show. When Steve Jobs failed as uh, the founder of Apple the first time around, John Scully took control of Apple and successfully fired Steve Jobs. And by virtue of the fact that, with the fullness of time, we now know that Steve Jobs is one of the highest... CEO wins above replacement of all time. By virtue of the fact that Scully fired him, negative. Probably the most negative wins above replacement of all time. At least in the 30 minutes we can think about it in the car going to Costco. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that $750 billion that we lay at Balmer's feet is a large number, but... Given the time of his tenure, the fact that this was back in the what was it eighties or nineties or whatever, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I think, I think it definitely has to be Scully who takes the cake. So I think we're gonna, we're going to keep forging ahead with this construct. I think it's uh, it's very instructive, James Lynn. If you're listening, we texted you today. We uh, want to have you back on in the next week or two. We're going to engage you over the next week or two. Love your take on how you could go about actually uh, comprehensively modeling this out. This is a line of inquiry that I think is very instructive in the Degenerate Business School. Yeah, agreed. And on that note, not to give short shrift to Degenerate Stock Tip Corner, 
on James Lynn's advice, I've finally consummated his recommendation on Valero. I went in this week on a straight value play. You tried to buy an options contract and you failed, Robert. I did. I was with you at lunch. I did. But you did your best. I, I put in the order. It didn't execute, but I will try again on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm definitely doing this. And if anyone is listening and wondering why in the world would I buy Valero, please listen to the Macroeconomic Super Edition featuring our resident macroeconomics advisor, James Lynn, and you'll hear exactly why it's the best thing you can do with your money. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, we, we, we like to throw in the fact that you should never <laughs> listen to anything we say, but if you do, buy Valero. Yes. Uh, all right. With that, Berta. Yeah. I think that's all I have. This is some pioneering work. Uh, yeah, I think we're on to something. Yeah. All and, right. Uh, quick, quick update on my... Oh, you're going to give a portfolio update. My stock portfolio. Okay. Everything's down <laughs> by a lot. Um, so, yeah. CBS down five. No, sorry. It's my bad. CBS down 29. Woof. Versus the S&P up 1.2. Uh, CRM down nine versus the S and P down one, and Cisco down three versus the S and P one and a half. But it's up one. But I didn't have the balls to look at this last week, and now I know why. My portfolio was down forty percent a week ago, so I'm calling this a win. This is a situation where you just uh, you hold on and you ride it out. No. I, I feel very confident about all my positions. It yeah, was, yeah. It was a tough week, and uh, we'll be all right. All right. With you're that, welcome. you're welcome. Sort of, America. Uh, sure. Farewell. Farewell. Farewell.